intent of meeting contains two distinct places, the holy place and the holy of holies. According to Exodus 26, the tent had two coverings, fine twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet material and goat's hair. The combination offers a clear picture of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. Imagine yourself in the outer court, gazing upon the appearance of the tent of meeting. Not knowing what was inside, would you begin to understand the incredible importance of the building? Much the same could be said of someone first encountering Jesus of Nazareth. As we read in Isaiah 53, 2, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. The entrance was a doorway or screen. Exodus 26, verses 36 and 37, record the Lord's specific instructions regarding its construction. As discussed when describing the gate to the outer court, this doorway, once again, pictures the Messiah as the way to the Father. Only Aaron and his sons, the priests, and ultimately the Levites, were permitted inside the tent. They were required to wash and put on the priestly garments before entering. For anyone familiar with all the rules, first in Leviticus, then piling on the regulations added beyond the temples, everyone, excepting Moses, Aaron, and his sons, the Levites, would need a priest to have access to the tent. Praise be to God, all that changed when the new covenant was put in place. So, we are able to continue. The holy place is found immediately inside the doorway and is twice the size of the Holy of Holies. There are three features located here. Most likely, a typical vis visitor's attention is drawn immediately to the ornate lampstand, the menorah. When you read Exodus 25 verses 31 through 40, you discover the intricate details of this marvelous light. The most significant feature is the fact that it is of pure gold, hammered from one piece. After reading through the details, you might notice one word used quite often, branch.
for me, I am drawn immediately to Isaiah 11. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Before we move past the first verse, reflect back on Exodus 25. There are three branches on one side of the menorah and three branches on the other side. The center shaft holds the seventh light extending from the base. The center light deserves a bit more attention since it is the first light illuminated. It is the first light that is used to ignite the other six. It is sometimes referred to as the servant. Now, let's have a look at the second verse of Isaiah 11. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and strength. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I submit to you that the lights correspond to these characteristics belonging to the Messiah beginning in the center and working from side to side. A more expansive discussion about illumination can be found in episode 15. As we continue our journey deeper into the tabernacle and deeper into our understanding of the Messiah, the next feature we find is the table of showbread. The description of the table is found in Exodus 25, verses 23 to 30. The instructions for preparing the bread are located in Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 to 9. The table of showbread has 12 loaves of bread, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. God called the loaves the bread of presence, and instructed that they be on the table before him at all times. The twelve loaves are constantly in the presence of God. It's at this point that we realize the loaves are God's people, the Jewish people. They are the loaves, constantly in the presence of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 declares plainly that bread amounts to the word of God. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. The table of showbread points us to God's word, which is our history, our future, and our instructions for how to have abundant life with our Holy Father. 
Aaron and his sons ate the bread every Sabbath. That's what we are to do on the Sabbath. Literally, we are to consume the Word of God. Today, we also understand that we are feasting on Jesus' holy body, the living Word, the bread of life, as we saw in John chapter 6, verses 47 to 51. Before entering the Holy of Holies, one would expect to offer prayers to God, particularly since, under the Old Covenant, the High Priest is the only person allowed. At that, the High Priest could enter only on one day in the year, the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. The third feature in the holy place is the altar of incense, described in Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 to 10. This altar is also described in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. In Exodus chapter 30, the second half of verse 8, we read, there shall be perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes, Pray without ceasing. In this way, we are in constant communication with God in all we do throughout our days and evenings. This keeps us close to Him, so He can guide our steps our words, our actions, and we can glorify him in all we do. This is how we participate as a partner in his kingdom. This also prepares us to enter the Holy of Holies. In addition, we have our high priest, as is written in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant 
for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. In order to enter the Holy of Holies, we must pass through the veil, described in Exodus chapter 26, verses 31 through 33. You shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. It shall be made with cherubim, the work of a skillful workman. You shall hang it on four pillars of acacia, overlaid with gold, their hooks also being of gold, on four sockets of silver. You shall hang up the veil under the clasps, and shall bring in the ark of the testimony there within the veil. And the veil shall serve for you as a partition between the holy place and the holy of holies. We know from the narratives of the crucifixion in Matthew, Mark, Mark, and Luke what happened at the very moment the Savior gave up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. At that instant, the thick barrier to the Holy of Holies was no more. What we find inside is no less amazing. The instructions for the construction of the Ark of the Covenant are found in Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 15. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 16, we read, You shall put into the ark the testimony which I shall give you. Yet, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 3 through 5, we find behind the second veil there was a tabernacle which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden jar holding the manna, and Aaron's rod which budded, and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. While intriguing, the mercy seat is the object of our search. As we find in Exodus chapter 25, verses 17 through 22. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Make them of hammered work, at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim of one piece and the mercy seat 
at its two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. The faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give to you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in the commandment for the sons of Israel. The mercy seat is exactly where we find ourselves as we read John 20, verses 11 and 12. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so, as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. The testimony Cleopas and his companion heard from Mary Magdalene the very day of their journey with Jesus became real, as it was corroborated by our Lord and Savior himself. For now, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God.